Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Lund. Welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast. Today it is Nick and I joining you with our coach, James Loring. Jack is away on his honeymoon in the Galapagos out in the middle of nowhere. So there's no way he's joining us, nor would we want him to join us currently. James, thanks for joining us today. Thanks a lot, champs. Happy to be here. So you're head coach of Team LPC, which I believe is one of the biggest coaching, I want to call it coaching businesses, coaching firms uh, in Ontario. And we got members kind of all over the world, really. Can you take us back to when that started, you know, when you started it, how that fit in with your pro career at the time, and then where it's brought you today? Yeah, thanks, Garrick. Uh, so LPC, I think, was launched in 2007. So we're, we're approaching our, our 15th year uh, in February of next year. And um, I'm not sure if I think there's some clubs that might be larger than ours, but we've, we've slowly grown over the years from our, our very humble beginnings. Um, I raced um, at the ITU level, um, did a few Pan American Cups, a few World Cups, up until about 2007. And in 2008, um, my first daughter was born. So it was just a, a natural evolution to kind of step back a little bit from elite racing. And I was very passionate about coaching. I've just found, I, uh, I enjoy just learning more about the sport, helping others coaching than I did going on long bike rides and stuff, um, by, by that point in, in my career. So I was, uh, a lot more motivated. I found just to, to grow the coaching business around 2006, 2007. And I was assistant coach at, uh, you know, for, for a few different uh, programs for a few years. And in 2007, just decided to, to launch my own coaching business. And um, it slowly grew from, from there. Uh, I lived in Windsor up until about 2006, Windsor, Ontario, which is uh, uh, next to Japan. Yeah, close to where you're living, living these days. And uh, came out to Guelph and uh, Guelph, I know you guys have talked about on a few podcasts and Guelph has slowly kind of turned into this triathlon hub over the years. Well, back in the, back in 2006, 2007, it was a regional triathlon center where the head coach Craig Taylor, um, was, was my triathlon coach for a couple of years. And I was a pioneer athlete at this regional triathlon center and, um, Guelph became home. And uh, soon after, that's when LPC was launched, and it had about maybe a dozen athletes or so in that in that first year. And um, Garrick, you joined shortly after that. I think you've been on LPC now for a little over ten years now, so that's pretty unbelievable. Uh, Jackson's been on LPC, I think, for a little over nine years now. Uh, so you guys were. You guys were these uh, juniors back back in the day, and you've grown to these, you know, pro athletes uh, having successful careers. So it's been very exciting to kind of see your progressions and, and your evolutions, and, and to see LPC slowly grow over the years. 
And where it kind of took a really good jump is when a couple other coaches came on board. Uh, Mark Lintzman, he, he's now in his 10th year. Uh, this week, actually, he's about exactly 10 years on LBC. And he's coaching a lot of athletes of all ages and ability. And um, he's really helped uh, grow, grow the team. And David Hopton, Alexandra Coates, Joanna Brown, they've all taken on uh, various athletes and have been just a tremendous help to growing LPC over the years. And I think I think we've had each of your coaches on in some regard. I know, I think we've had literally every coach on the uh, Jacksons, you know, uh, nudge to try to get, you know, they, each one of them has their own niche. So they've expressed a lot of really cool knowledge to all of us. Yeah, it's took Jackson to go on a honeymoon, right? To get me on here, to be a film. Yeah, well... <laughs> James, we, we just know you love to talk so much. We we didn't want Jackson on here, too, to clutter up your space. We want to give you a full range. I'm not a talker. I'm not a talker. Oh, yeah, you are. <laughs> um, but before we get too much more into the LPC stuff, um, James, I'm curious, because this is an important question, what in your mind kind of turned that page of, I think I'm well-versed enough within the sport. I think my prestige as an athlete these things have come together in, in a way that allows you to be an effective coach. And then for that's, you know, for age groupers, but how do you feel that different is differentiated between training pro athletes and then managing an age group club? Well, how do you feel qualified and how does that all work in your mind? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, it's a, it is an enormous learning curve. Um, you know, I, some will say that, oh, you don't really have to have, um, too much of a background in the sport. You don't necessarily have to have a lot of experience racing or racing an elite level to, to be a good or even a great coach. And, and I, I can agree with that. I think that some of the best triathlon coaches don't have uh, an elite background and they might not even have had a big uh, career in the sport, but they've become to be very reputable and renowned coaches. Um, in my personal experience, I think that it, it has helped where I've, I've been immersed into the sport um, uh, for a long time. I, I did my first triathlon in, in 1993, so I, I, I was a junior, I was an A-troop triathlete. Um, I think a lot of those experiences really helped over the years. When I first uh, started LPC, um, I, I wasn't married, I, I didn't have kids, so I think at that point, I, I I probably, um, you know, didn't fully understand um, how busy an age group triathlete can be trying to wear different hats, working a full-time job, uh, married with children, trying to balance that training in. As I got older and kind of went through a lot of those experiences myself, I think that that put me into a, a better position to be able to help guide, help uh, provide a, a, a coaching support to, to the age group athletes that were you know that have children that that have uh, careers and they're and they're trying to uh, they're trying to um, enjoy this triathlon lifestyle and and I was in a better position to be able to understand that and be able to provide uh, that coaching support. So I think as the years went by, uh, I'm learning as a coach myself, and I'm each year I'm learning more and more about how to be in a better position to help guide all different ranges of athletes, whether they're a junior elite middle of the package grouper um whether you know they have aspirations to try to qualify for kona uh and i think it just takes years and years of experience to uh to get to that point what about working with pro athletes how does that that trickle down 
training economics work for your age groupers? Do you kind of find that it moves from the top down or is it you find that you use a lot more age group tactics for pros? I think that it, I mean, it depends if the, is the pro athlete on kind of the IT stream or on the, the long course stream. So it's going to be um, obviously much different, different uh, coaching. Uh, but I think that, um, you know, obviously training a pro athlete there, it's their full-time job. It's their profession. So their, their training load is going to be a lot higher. Uh, they're going to be doing a lot more workouts. There, there's probably going to be more communication, more interaction, more refining of the, the training program. Um, when I'm developing the programs for my athletes, I usually like to do it every, roughly every week. And then we make modifications. I tend to like to wait a little bit longer to uh, develop programs for the elite athletes, just to adjust for any kind of last minute changes. Um, if they're, you know, not feeling, uh, if they're, if they're feeling a little bit fatigued, then that might change the, the training for the next week. Whereas for the age group athletes, some of them need to try to have their training updated more proactively to help revolve the training around life's priorities, around family, around work, around meetings, uh, around business trips. So, so usually we'll try to be a bit more proactive with um, updating their training and therefore the, the, the age groupers often get updated before the elite elites get updated. Okay. So we're all getting kind of the same philosophy backbone of what you believe, but really what comes down to the differences is logistics of availability in recovery schedules, which pro triathletes can recover a lot, I guess, more effectively, unless you're me. And then uh, most other age group athletes can't due to life demand circumstance. I mean, it's most, I'd say probably we're looking at maybe like 60% are just like kids, crazy schedules, travel. And then there's like maybe a, an older demographic who's a little more retired, right? And they can kind of crush the volume and go get coffee afterwards rather than having to take a kid to school. Yeah, I mean, in terms of recovery, usually the main thing is sleep. So sleep, yeah. sleep, you know, your daily eating habits, um, which an age group athlete can usually, you know, if they're disciplined, they can, they can do that quite well. But the one I would say major uh, struggle would be just trying to find uh, a way to optimize sleep quantity and sleep quality. And as a pro athlete, if it's your profession, then there really isn't much of an excuse to try to maximize sleep quantity most of the time. It, it, you know, unless you're a pro athlete that is juggling a full-time job or, or going to school full-time, um, then you know, sleep quantity is gonna be often a lot more manageable than your average age triathlete that is working full-time married with kids. Um, naps are often, you know, a good luxury and advantage that an elite level athlete can have and, and often implement in their training program. So if they have two hard workouts a day, then they might be able to squeeze in a little bit of a nap, um, when it, when it makes sense to do so. Whereas an age group athlete, they're, you know, often having to get up in the morning and do a workout in the evening. If they're, uh, you know, playing around on social media till midnight each night and, uh, it, 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 it's going to compromise their recovery and it's going to compromise their sleep. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So Garrick, I, I wanted to segue into another thing, unless you have something else you want to follow up. No, go right ahead. All right. So we were just kind of celebrating Jackson getting married. So we were talking about Jackson a lot. So I think that's only fitting that we continue. Um, 
James, in your opinion, because Jackson's ranked, I think, maybe 13th or 14th in the world right now, um, what makes him so damn successful? And how, how have you continued that growth for him like since the last four years continually? Every year, he's getting better and better, not even missing a beat. How, how's it going? Why? What's your perspective? Yeah, well, I mean, I can't take that much credit all for it. Um, yeah, sure, I've been his triathlon coach for, I guess, nine years now. And when, you know, when Jackson first got into the sport nine years ago, uh, he didn't have really much of a triathlon background at all. Um, it didn't have too much swim experience. I mean, I, I believe what is, was his first junior triathlon, he was, he was dead last out of the water. <laughs> so, um, Garrick, you are also, uh, you know, pretty back there in, in the swim as well. And Me uh, too. Yeah. So, it, <laughs> and there's a lot of elite level triathletes, right. That maybe don't have that background in the early, early days through their development. Uh, so, so what kind of sets them apart? Um, you know, Jackson, for those that know him, you know, just have this relentless work ethic. He, he's extremely consistent with his training. He, he, we're all faced with choices, you know, thousands of choices each day. And he just tends to make good decisions with respect to ways to opt optimize his training. And uh, one of the keys, I think, is to just try to establish a high level of consistency. There's really no magic formula. You know, you, there's no magic workout or magic week. It's just, he's just ticking away week after week after week, making, making good decisions, um, you know, keeping healthy, keeping injury free, keeping motivated, doing the things that will um, establish that, that, that work ethic, that routine to, to keep him healthy, to keep him motivated, keep him injury free. Uh, so we've seen that progression year after year. Um, you know, I, for him, he's been, he's, he's really good at just, you know, um, kind of following a plan and, and, and not getting overly excited in a particular workout that might set him back by pushing too hard in a particular session and then maybe and then also not getting too discouraged if you know if he has like a bad workout here and there so it, so it's just really just ticking the boxes and, and chugging along week after week and gradually seeing those improvements oh and it just in the past couple of years we really kind of see him break to that that higher tier um and that's kind of been the the result of many many years of consistent smart hard work where do you think he's made the biggest gain in terms of this last four year progression where maybe he used to be maybe two to 5% down on, on the lead guys, but now he's right there within 1% of them. You know, what, what do you think gave him the most bang for his buck in terms of his training that turned into a better outcome in racing? Yeah, well, he he hasn't been doing long course racing for too long, uh, so it's just been uh, he he has a lot of experience where he just did his very first full, and he's maybe done roughly thirty or so half Ironmans in the past five years. But that's not a long time to be racing at the the long course level. So in the last couple of years at the long course level, uh, he's made a lot of uh, improvements in the run off the bike. Um, super shoes have have helped uh, with that as it's helped everyone. Um, and we've seen the game really rise as well on, on the bike. Uh, so Jackson's bikes improved, but a lot of the top elites, you guys have seen it, it the, the sport continues to evolve. So he's had to make 
that bike progression. Uh, I think in terms of the biggest improvement, there's really, it's just really just the overall, uh, you know, making improvements in all three sports. He hasn't necessarily made a huge improvement in any one particular faucet, but just little tiny increments of improvement uh, in everything, whether it be in the bike position or the equipment uses, whether it be sl a very slight increase in his FTP on the bike, whether it be a slight improvement in his catch on the swim or just, you know, or in his swim fitness, whether it be a slight improvement in his uh, speed endurance off of the bike. There, there hasn't been any dramatic improvements in any one particular area, but some very, but very small improvements in a plethora of areas that have resulted in some good gains. Fantastic. Garrick, what do you got? So there seems to be a theme among a lot of LPCers. And I would say a lot of us did start with you from a, a younger age. Like I got in when I was 16. I think Jack was 17 or 18 when he came on. And we've always stuck with LPC. Like we've all been around for a long time and you've developed a lot of pros coming from junior up into pro guys who really weren't swimmers. Like me, I think my first year, I think I swam like 14 minutes for 750 consistently the first year. And by that second or third year, like I was ranked top 10 in Canada series. Jack obviously is not that great of a swimmer and now you know he's making that main pack in races so i can just keep going down the list of guys who got into lpc became great swimmers great cyclists and were always able to close out races how how did you like where's the philosophy there and how has it consistently worked across multiple athletes from multiple planes i think all of those examples, um, you know, it hasn't just been LPC uh, where, you know, it's, it's, it's helped with that, that swim evolution. Uh, uh, all of those athletes have benefited from a lot of various programs and coaches, whether it be the varsity team, whether it be uh, with Craig Taylor in the, the regional triathlon center, um, whether, it, you know, it be the, a master swim group in, in Windsor. Uh, so that there's been various um, coaches and various programs and various training partners. So uh, over the years, I think, you know, one of the keys is, is just, you know, there's, there's certain philosophies, right, where, where we think is important in terms of the way that you might periodize the, the swim training through the year or, or you know, when, there, when is a good time to kind of make the swimming a little bit more tri-specific in nature as you're getting closer to the, to the higher priority races. Um, you know, there might be a little bit of emphasis on what kind of swim drills we might do or swim toys we might uh, implement or, or strength conditioning we might uh, employ through the year. But uh, I think the, one of the, the main keys is that uh, it's not just, oh, you're swimming with LPC, you're, you're, you're benefiting from other groups. Um, and they're also not swimming by themselves all the time year round. So, so I, I think what's just helped with the consistency and the progression is, it, it's got to be fun. And at times you got to be training with others and, and, and it might be another group. It might be another club for a few workouts here and there. And one of the keys, if that is the case where you are swimming with others, then just making sure that it syncs within the overall program properly. So that way that the loads of each day of the training are, are, you know, are making sense in the overall training program. Garrick, is he there? Yeah, sorry. I removed the squeaker from his 
<laughs> and then, yeah, in Garrick's case, you know, playing with squeakers, uh, that just helps uh, with the, that finger strength, that wrist strength, which makes him oh, a better God. swimmer, I guess. So, yeah, keep, go down. keep playing with let's, that squeaker during podcasts. Let's not talk about finger or wrist or anything strength. <laughs> um, so I've noticed, I, I think the biggest success story for most all swimmers comes from the group atmosphere, especially adult swimmers. Um, you know, I didn't start till I was 24. And it took me look, listening and, and kind of feeling around within the sport and watching other swimmers and understanding their biomechanics. And if I was to do that all on my own without, you know, all that, I guess, stimulus around me, I don't think I would have gained anything in the water. So I think if for any beginner swimmer or anyone who's struggling with their swim, you have to take the extra steps to get out there in a group environment and get with somebody who at least has a coach on deck a couple times while you're still getting like the, your ground under you to figure out what the hell you're doing wrong and how to execute sets and how to, how you're comparing to others, even if you have to draft. So what I've noticed, cause I've only been to Guelph a couple times when I was there, there's a lot of group activity in the swim specifically, maybe the run as well, but mainly the swim. And I think that that's really the catalyst for a lot of success within the swimming um, atmosphere. Do you, would you agree, James? Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, in addition to swimming in the pool, uh, you know, and, and swimming with others, I think, uh, you know, that provides just that social, that social aspect that it, it helps give that accountability to get to the workout and get the work done. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're with a, if you're with a motivated group that, that all wants to, to work hard, uh, and then some workouts where if it's not a hard workout, uh, and maybe it's just an easier swim or more of a technical swim. It's also fun to do with others because you can get a bit more social time. Uh, the pool is also a great opportunity where if you can capture a little bit of underwater footage every once in a while and you get that visual of how is your underwater stroke in, 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 you know, progressing under the water and you can, you can look at that footage or, or your coach can, can look at that footage with you and give pointers on how is that underwater stroke when you look at it in slow motion. And I think one of the keys is, is how is that stroke when it's at that mid-race pace when you're, when you're under fatigue? Uh, and, and then one of the keys is, is, is to try to get more comfortable, more efficient swimming at that mid-race pace as your fatigue increases. And in addition to swimming in a pool, when the lakes are warm and they're conducive to swimming, then swimming with a couple of others, I think is really valuable as well. And you can, you can practice the race dynamics of group starts of swimming behind a, a feet, swimming next to the person swimming at their hips and, and getting that practice. So regardless of whether you're an elite level athlete or you're gearing up for your very first triathlon, um, there, there is certainly a learning curve, you know, swimming in that open water dynamic and getting used to those conditions and getting used to swimming with the wetsuit and swimming in choppy water. And some triathletes might not have convenient access to the lake or convenient access to swimming with others around their ability level. But if you do, then that, that can be a valuable way to in, improve your triathlon performance by just getting used to swimming in the open water more. So really the bottom line is there's no friggin' magic out there. It comes down to consistency, grinding it out over time, putting your head down every day, staying focused and not, you know, sorrowing when it doesn't go well and not getting too excited when it goes great. You just stay steady 
and you focus on the daily grind and you forget. I always tell people live like a goldfish, like just have such a short-term memory. Yesterday doesn't matter. It's already, you know, the money's in the bank. You don't even need to think about it anymore. So that's like, that's what you're just saying with the swim. Like you can't just expect to go spend two weeks of of a master's program and just be like, well, I thought I'd be swimming 120 per hundred now uh, after swimming 150 per hundred. So what that progression is frustrating for athletes to understand because number one, if you're an age group athlete, you've already got to get up early and get to the pool and change and then maybe get to work and figure out your stuff. So the swim is the, is so tough. I think if there's ever a way to streamline that process or in you, as you would say, that process, if we could ever figure that process out um, to get people away from like the heaviness of what the swim training looks like, maybe I think we have better triathletes everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, every triathlete's different and if they're really busy and it, it's not convenient for them to get to a pool, then maybe they don't need to swim uh, that much uh, because the opportunity costs of them to get commute to a pool try to get that third swim in a week, maybe in their case, they're better off um, using that time for a little bit more sleep or another bike workout where, or another run workout, where ultimately that's going to be, um, you know, a bigger portion of their, of their triathlon, especially if they're in a non-drafting, if their main races are a non-drafting triathlon, then the swim emphasis might not be um, too high in their program. If it's not convenient for them to get to a pool. During this COVID era, when pools were shut down, a lot of people weren't swimming at all. And it was an opportunity for them to raise their game, especially on the bike, right? Uh, with stay-at-home order, all right, can't, ha- can't get to a pool, pools are closed, lakes are still frozen, we can only ice fish on them. <laughs> uh, but instead of doing nothing, you could choose to maybe do another bike workout in a week and, and improve your bike performance, or you can invest in a, in a simple pair of swim cords and, and, and do a bit more swim specific exercises that you normally don't do. Uh, if you're fortunate, like Nick, you've got a VASA trainer. So you, you know, if you're, if you're an athlete in Ontario during COVID during stay at home order, and, and you don't have your own endless pool in your background, but you have a pair of stretch cords or, or swim cords or a VASA trainer, then you, it's a small investment of time to, to, to work on those aspects where normally you might not do them. If the, if you live next door to a pool and the pool and the lakes are, are open for business. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. I mean, let's move on from swimming, but I think that's, I think we spend a lot of time in that because it's often where we see athletes see the least outcome or least um, return on their investment in terms of time equity. So that's kind of a hard one to have athletes swim 4k three times a week when they're maybe seeing the same race splits uh, year after year. And that's where it comes down to an athlete understanding. It's not just about the fitness level within the swim. It's about the technique and the strategy. And that's the most frustrating part is we can bash the swim and run or the bike and run and get immediate gains within weeks. Swimming is, is all in your head. So that's, I guess, why we're a foot stomping on it because unless you like feel like something's changing and it feels weird and you're willing to throw your game off for an off season and start fresh, like you're kind of fucked in terms of getting massive gains. Yeah. Now's a great time of the year for many to kind of think about their stroke mechanics and think about if two or three areas I should be focusing on improving my, 
stroke mechanics. So if you have yeah. the ability to get some video done, falls a great time with the, you know, some just getting back in the pool after a bit of an off season break and they're months and months away from their big races next year. Now's a good time to kind of think a little bit more about that technical side. And that brings yeah. us to our next segue off season. What, uh, outside of swimming, since we just hammered that, what things do you re recommend this? Let's say, so I guess we're going to keep pulling on Jackson's leg because he's just uh, finished his first, his first Ironman. It was his last race uh, of the season. You know, what is his off season going to look like, you know, for, you know, even for just typical pro athlete, um, let's use that as kind of a template because you'll, that'll probably be the structure for most of most everyone, but what's his next three or four months going to look like? Yeah. And, and what's interesting is that in Jack's particular case, it, it's not really a template for what might be for, for most, uh, he might be a little bit of an outlier. And um, for a lot of the pros that I coach, their, their off season, like after their final race, and when it comes time to, Hey, let's take a little bit of a break. Their break often is longer than the average age group athlete. And um, in Jack's case, you know, years ago, maybe it would be like a week of almost no training or, or just, you know, tiny, tiny bit of training into a week. As each year goes by, that off season for him sometimes stretches out a little bit longer. This is a bit of a unique year where he's had a, a really big year. And of course, uh, you know, he's just got married, he's on a honeymoon. So he'll have his longest kind of off season break where it might be a five week stretch where I'm not going to put anything in his train peaks at all. And uh, a few objectives will be some advice that I'll give him will not be advice that I'll give to a lot of age group athletes, um, but might be good advice for them as well. Uh, but in his objective, it'll be to try to get pretty out of shape. It'll, it'll be to put on a few pounds, uh, you know, maybe put on about five or six pounds um, before we start um, increasing the, the, the workload again and the consistency of the training again. Um, but uh, for that five week period, it'll be having fun. Obviously he's on a honeymoon. So it's just, he was so focused and so dedicated to his craft, uh, you know, all year long. It it's going to be so important that he gets a full physical and mental recharge, where he almost feels like this caged animal, wanting to train a lot again. And then even when he gets to that point, let's be patient. Let's not rush back into uh, the, the training load. Um, because he, once he gets back into that training, he's very good at keeping consistent. So it's important for athletes such as himself to kind of have that break. Whereas some age group athletes, um, you know, that might not be training and racing at that low that Jackson is for 10, 11 months of the year, they might not necessarily need to take as much of a season break they, for them it's a lifestyle they like to kind of do a little bit each week and they might not necessarily have to take like two or three or four weeks or of doing almost no tri specific training at all uh, so they might have a few days off here and there or a week off around the, the the holidays or 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 when work or family pulses a lot but they might have a very much different off season where they're still doing a little bit just because it's part of their active lifestyle, but they don't need to necessarily have as big of, um, as a break period before they roll back into the next season of training. So I think it just depends on where you fit in your, your development, where, what your goals are, how hard have you been training over the months that might dictate how big of that off season should be where, where, you know, you, you kind of take one or two or three steps backwards before you start building up again. And for that 
age groupers. So most people listen are perhaps age groupers that are performance based, but they also, this is also lifestyle. And a lot of them did a fall Ironman. Now they're probably, maybe they took one, two weeks off and they're just starting to get back into it. Where do you think they should focus on between now and perhaps the holidays when they have to take another little bit of downtime because of family? Yeah. So if they, if they did a long course race, like an Ironman where, you know, it's a marathon off the bike and, or, or they're, you know, in a, in a bit of a run focus this fall, maybe they did a, a standalone half marathon or a marathon when they kind of start that off season, they take a little bit of a break from running, but they might not necessarily completely stop swimming or biking. So, so when you do your off season, you don't necessarily have to stop all three. Um, it, it might be having a bit of a break in one or two of the, disciplines or or three of the disciplines if we count if we count strength and conditioning as that fourth discipline uh there might be a break in one or more of those disciplines while you're still doing a little bit of something else so so for someone that just finished their ironman uh, maybe they're gonna not see a pool and swim for two or three or four weeks and maybe they're not gonna do any running at all for at least two or three or four weeks but Maybe they've got that mountain bike that's got cobwebs on it and they haven't uh, been on the mountain bike all year long because they've been on their tri bike and maybe their road bike, but they're just itching to get out to the trails for an easy active recovery, casual ride with their buddies. Um, That might be a great thing for them rather than saying no to swim bike run for a month or two. So there might be um, some easy unstructured training. Just it'd be nice to go through a phase where the body and the mind just has a break from the grind, from from doing things that maybe they didn't have the opportunity to do when they were so focused on gearing up for their A priority races. Um, and it doesn't have to be swimming, biking, and running. It it could be, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my wife on a nice hike, and I didn't have that opportunity to do on a Saturday because I was always doing my five hour bike rides on Saturday. Now we're gonna go for a four hour casual hike instead. Or it'll be like me later on this afternoon. I've got uh, my buddy Nissan coming over. and We're going to play some tennis because the tennis courts close tomorrow. So it's our last chance to play tennis. So um, in, in, in Jackson's case, maybe instead of, he, instead of him taking uh, five weeks off, he's going to go snorkeling with some f- turtles or something like that, right, on his off season or, or, or do some kind of fun stuff that might be different from that triathlon grind. So it doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to be on, on the couch doing nothing uh, for a month period, but rather you can enjoy doing some type of fun unstructured activities that you didn't get a chance to do during the season. But yeah, yeah you're right. And uh, Nick, in terms of messing up, I think a lot are just, they're happy to take that break. Right. And be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to take that break. And it's sort of like, you cross, you cross your first Ironman, you cross your first marathon, you're like, oh man, why the hell did I do that? I am never doing that again. And then a few days later, your emotions will change and you're like itching to sign up for the next one. And then a few days later, you're just, you're motivated to it. Let's go into that 2022 plan of attack. I, I can't wait. I just want to, I want to crush uh, the training and get stronger for next year. And uh, one of the keys is to to be able to set yourself up to crush that next year is to, is that it's usually ideal to kind of take that step backwards, get a little bit out of shape during that off season Um, for many, whether it be to put on a couple pounds or just simply get out of shape while still having, you know, healthy 
healthy eating choices uh, throughout the day, uh, you do want a period where you're just not crushing it week after week because it's not sustainable over the course of the year. So especially I find a lot of age group athletes almost have to be encouraged that, hey, it's okay to take that step backwards. If, if you have performance goals, if you want to crush your season next year, and this is going to be an important part of the process to be able to take that step back now and then and then and then progressively build towards next year. Yeah, when I was in Guelph, I honestly I think I was like fighting off a low level cold or something. It was so weird. Like it didn't hit me harder until I came home from Guelph because I think I was just like still in a haze. But um, yeah, it's tough for me to take that step back every year because it's like I love the lifestyle. I love it's like a routine to me. I was in the air force for so long. So getting up every day and getting something done makes me feel like good about myself and good about the day. So just laying around and waking up at 10 or something like that, like it's just against my general philosophy as a human being. So it's tough for me to not do it too much, but I've learned, I mean, and I've seen it, I've been around some of the best athletes in the world. And, and I can attest that you know, I do too much sometimes compared to the recovery, the rest and stuff like that. Garrick, you've been going to school full time and working and having surgery. So, I mean, it's been probably tough for you to just take this much time off too. So you're a good example of probably taking a major step back, hitting reset, starting fresh next year, and then getting that consistency back. And then finally being able to put your nose into that full-time pro triathlete life. And we'll see, we'll, we're going to see you come right back around. Yeah, I'm kind of in the middle of a forced five-month off-season, but <laughs> well, uh, hopefully it comes back around. You're going to look like Fat Thor. Yeah, you know, and you know the nice thing about triathlon, though, is that you are, um, you know, when it's going to take some time to to build back from from injury, uh, then you know it's not like we're a baseball pitcher, where if you're getting if you're a right arm pitcher and you get a major surgery in the right shoulder and there's not really a whole lot that you know you can be doing while you're rehabilitating that shoulder whereas a triathlete that there's often a lot that we can do where if we have some type of an injury there's there's always something else that you can be doing but at the same time you know I'd, rather than putting all of your focus into that it, it's also a good time to kind of focus on life and other aspects of life Nick, in your case, you live in such, you live in paradise land where it's just nice all the time. So it's hard to take a step back, right? When, <laughs> when you've got so much playtime, uh, you know, outdoors and, and, and it's hard to be, oh man, I just want to go exploring and stuff. And that's where I kind of gave that one example where, you know, if it's an age group athlete that did like, say like the six hour bike rides every Saturday where, you know, you live in a beautiful spot. Well, maybe instead of going for a six hour bike ride, maybe it's going to be this awesome hike that you haven't had a chance to do, or maybe it's going to be, you know what, I'm going to go on my mountain bike instead and just play in the rails and, and, and forego some of the structure. So, so, you know, you, you can, you can kind of, you know, have those, those breaks here and there by taking out the intensity and taking out the structure from, from what that regular grind is. Yeah. Perfect. Um, yeah, I think some key takeaways also just stem from, you know, just being smart and taking it day to day and not worrying about the big plan. Cause that's going to take care of itself with a coach like James. I mean, you've always got the visibility on where this process is process is taking us, but, um, the key is for the athlete to just not overcomplicate something 
that really isn't that complicated. Like stress plus recovery equals adaptation. And that's really our magic formula. It's not, you know, a, a crazy algorithm that only freaking Jan Ferdino has. It's, it's a gift of genetics and it's also a gift of headspace and, and just consistency and staying off the injury bench. So I think that's really the bit, the biggest thing we, we just got to stop looking for the magic freaking nugget out there. That's going to turn us into a pro overnight. Like takes time. And that's the bitch of it is <laughs> there's no instant gratification in terms of success, only instant gratification in terms of failure. If you just keep doing it wrong and wrong over and over again. So yeah. Any final thoughts, um, James or Garrick, I got any last questions to fire at James. Uh, maybe where he does get his um, hair done. Yeah, I got one more, but before we get into that, I do think that is an interesting point, Nick, because there are so many coaches out there, like pro coaches who are so protective of their training. They don't let their athletes post anything. And I don't think James is like that at all. Like James is always encouraging us to train with other athletes. And um, I mean, we used to have the vlog and we used to put our training up there, not secret of anything because it's, it's not really secret sauce. It's just, it's all about, you know, balancing that load properly. James really touched upon that. And I think that was incredibly effective at developing all these athletes. And you do see it with all the development and successful athletes across all ages uh, from junior to pro to age group to people going to Kona at 70. You see it all the time um, mm -hmm. in LPC, but James, you said you started your business back in 2006 um, and it's a largely online coaching platform. Was that like current at the time or was that kind of your vision? Were you ahead of the curve? He was doing Excel spreadsheets um, for everybody. <laughs> You know, my first triathlon coach was Dan Murray from LaSalle, Ontario, and he was one of the fastest runners in the sport back in the day, and it was awesome. He delivered my swim or my, my triathlon training program once a week through fax machine. <laughs> so that was back in 93, maybe 94. Uh, so yeah, I got my workouts via fax, and uh, then, you know, I think it, I think it evolved to uh, email. Um, and then now a lot of the coaches obviously use training peaks or, or, um, today's plan or, or equivalent as their, as their go-to platform for, for the training, but you're right. I, there, there, there shouldn't be any secrets. Uh, we, we can, everyone can see kind of what the elites are doing. And one of the mistakes is to try to try to mimic what the elite level athletes are doing or, or trying to mimic what workouts they're doing. Cause it really isn't about a particular workout or even a particular week. It's, it's week after week and how you structure it and, and how to make those adjustments. Um, you know, when, when life's priorities intervene, where if you get knocked down with a bit of a cold or you got to study for exams or, or you have this presentation at work that compromises your sleep, then you need to make modifications to your training. So it shouldn't be a, an objective to have all green in your training peaks week after week, because often the athlete's going to know better than the coach where, when they should take a little bit of a step back and not, not try to forge through the workout that the coach prescribes for them. If they didn't sleep well, or if they have an ache or a pain, or if they're not, their immune system just isn't feeling, you know, up to the intensity of the workout. So I think the key is, is that the, the athletes, yeah, have to kind of make those little, little modifications, how they're, you know, how, how they're feeling uh, uh, on a day to day. And 
eight troopers and only can see what others are doing. There's not be any secrets with, you know, with Strava and, and all the social media nowadays. Um, I, I don't, you know, I've never felt like I should be protective in the slightest. I think I encourage uh, people, hey, try this workout or, or, or to encourage my athletes to try to recruit buddies to, to train with just to make it more fun. Because if you can make it more fun, it's going to be more sustainable year after year. Awesome. And on that note, Nick, you got anything else? No, um, James, obviously you are an incredible coach. You've brought literally, I know every, every athlete I can think of from, a, you know, kind of a basic level to a very high level of performance based on, and I wouldn't even say like, and this isn't to take away anything, but like, I, it's probably not even the training. It's, it's your personality, the way you integrate and listen and understand and make adjustments. Like I've said that for years, there's no magic program that's worth a million dollars, but there's the relationship within the coach and the way that they can handle your personality and bring the best out of you. That's what makes this triathlon coaching business successful. And you have grown exponentially over the last you know, three or four years since I've even been around you. Um, so, you know, that's why we wanted to bring you on today to highlight you since you're, you're so humble. I mean, the coaches working with athletes like Jack or, you know, even I guess me and Garrick and, and some of the other high visibility athletes you work with, like the coach often doesn't get the credit. You're just working in the background, doing your thing. And obviously we have to execute the plan and keep our head together, but you're a massive part of it. So for sure, thanks so much for always, you know, being available to us and your current athletes and not charging us an arm and a freaking leg. Like, I don't know. I looked at some of the Matt Dixon pricing one day and this was a couple of years ago. I was like, holy shit. Why are people, this is like robbery. Like, I don't know if it's worth it. I mean, Sure, it probably is on terms of deliverables and nutritionists and geneticists they have on their staff or some something. But even then, like you're proof, James, that you don't need to, exp, you know, exp, drain your bank account every month to have a great foundation with a coach in a great program. So all that being said, this is why we wanted you on to highlight you and your work with high end athletes and as well as your consistency and patience. So thanks for all that you do for us. Oh, thanks. Uh, you know, thanks for the props there, Nick. And uh, you guys make my job easy. It's been a pleasure. Fan of the fan of this podcast and, um, you know, grateful that uh, you guys brought me on. And if people want to find out more about either the club LPC or coaching, where do they go? Teamlpc.ca. Excellent. We'll have that in the show notes as per usual. Uh, when we put in the description, it's James. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, champs. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, guys. Cheers. I got ish to do. Flying through the sky in my parachute. Dancing on the couch like I'm Tommy Cruise. On a one-man mission trying to see it through.